And good afternoon, everybody. <laughs> and uh, that's my intro. Uh, that's, if, if you guys watch, uh, if you guys listen to Chris Russo or watch Chris Russo, you know what I'm doing. But yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> I don't know if anybody- hello, hello, everybody. Mad Dog in the morning here. <laughs> yeah. There we go. That, that's a good one. Uh, but welcome, everybody, to episode number 39 of RizzoCast. Uh, this is a very special edition. As you guys know, I've been doing RizzoCast Takeover, where people that want to come on, come on and talk about what they want to talk about. And today's guest, do you want to introduce yourself, who you are? Well, who, who, I, who, who am I, who I am? <laughs> it's not important. <laughs> uh, what's up, guys? Uh, Nick Vesmar here. Uh, formerly of Around the Foghorn, formerly of Vavil Sports, formerly of China Basin Chatter, China Basin Cast. Uh, geez, I'm dropping all the plugs here tonight. What else did I do? I think that's pretty much it. You know, I think I think we'll 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 we'll, we'll cut it off right there. A couple side projects, I'm sure that I'm forgetting, but well, you got uh, a lot on the resume there. It's pretty respectable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty good amateur sports journalist resume. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. And I actually wrote with Nick. Uh, with China Basin Chatter, and that was a lot of fun. Um, I have some good uh, articles that I still look back to today and say, wow, that's, that was a good article. So I appreciate you for giving some of us uh, that platform uh, last season, uh, last baseball season, I should say. So let's get into number one thing here. And, and we lost a legend last weekend with the passing of Henry Aaron, uh, who passed away at the age of 86. He was the home run king for a long time finished with 755 career home runs had the most total bases by far so if you look at his total bases nick you're, this is crazy it blew me away when i when i first saw it he had 116 miles of bases right barry bonds only had 101 miles like like miles in terms of of uh, total bases and it it right. equals miles. So that's pretty crazy. So just reflecting on Hank Aaron real quick, where were your thoughts of losing a legend over the weekend? Losing number 44. I mean, it's just, it really kind of, it tears at your heartstrings. I mean, I remember reading it, you know, and I didn't, I guess I never realized born in 1934. So I don't, you know, you never realize how, how old some of these guys are. Um, you know, especially looking at someone like Willie Mays and you're like, Oh my God. Like, you know, and then you think about it. Uh, it was, it was really difficult. I mean, we, we, we lost a legend in the baseball world, a hundred percent. Um, you know, you're talking about a three time gold Glover, 25 time all-star never going to happen again, never going to happen again. I, I, even if there was a guy who could go 25 years, I don't think he would ever manage to make himself into an all-star game. I mean, the guy was just Hank Aaron was one of those guys. He's on my Mount Rushmore of baseball without a doubt. Um, and not you for also, uh, not only forgetting career record in total base, but career record, uh, total career record in RBIs as well. Mm-hmm. At oh, 2297. I yeah. I left that one out in the intro. Thanks for saying. So, yeah. You, but the, and you're talking, so, so 162 game average, you're talking 113 RBIs per season, per season. I mean, when a guy gets 80 RBIs, that's like a good measure of like a fantastic baseball player this time around. And, 20 years ago, that that number was even higher. But could you imagine a guy hitting 113 RBIs in, in one season consistently? 
No, no, I can't. And it's, it's incredible because he did it. So he was dominant, like in his late thirties, like he was still putting up bombs, um, still hitting home runs, still driving in runs. He was yep. still very good late in his career. Yeah, absolutely. So no, when he was 39, so it was because episode 39 tonight for you, of course, as yeah. we mentioned earlier. So he was still at 20 home runs, even or sorry, 40. I stand corrected. 40 home runs, 96 RBIs, a 301 batting average at 39. At 39. <laughs> That's crazy. That's unbelievable. And it will never happen again. You're, you're right. The numbers he put up, the black ink on the back of his baseball card, it will never happen again. And I think no. – you nailed it on the head when you said Mount Rushmore because I think there's a few names you could put on there. Babe Ruth has to be on there. I think Willie Mays is on mine. Hank Aaron, and then you could you know fill your thumbs with the with the fourth name. Um, um yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think you're right on that one. I'm just trying to think of who my fourth would be, and it would. Um, you know what I'm thinking of? I mean, but oh geez, what would my? Yeah, I'm trying to think now. Now I'm now you're really gonna start putting me through this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but so yeah, no Babe Ruth definitely on on my Mount Rushmore. Um, you have to the Babe. It's the Babe, man. You know, you yeah. can't. Um, what I'm trying to why can't the names coming off the top of my head? I guess Jackie uh, Robinson. You know, he was yeah, Jackie first. Robinson. I think absolutely. I think you can. You know, definitely. Mm-hmm. Maybe someday we'll all wear 42. Yeah, exactly. And, In my last episode, I actually had the president of the Negro Leagues Museum. Uh, Mr. Bob Kendrick on the show and we talked about you know if if I were to if I were to tell you in 1920 that the top three well if we're talking about Josh Gibson because I know MLB is is now uh, recognizing Negro Leagues as an official you know league so it's not going to happen but if they did give 800 home runs to Josh Gibson the top three home run hitters in the history of baseball would be three black men so that's incredible, and it shows how far we've come. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, Hank Aaron, definitely, it, that was a difficult one. But, you know, it's uh, – he was getting up there in age, so I guess it, it didn't really come as much of a surprise. But it, it does shock people. It does. So you can't take away that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so rest in peace, Hank Aaron. Thoughts go out to his family and friends, of course. Um, and the person that break uh, that broke, I should say, Hank Aaron's home run record was the great Barry Bonds. And Barry Bonds is kind of hanging on a thread right now. He's in the newspapers um, for unfortunate reasons. He did not get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, f- uh, he's got one more year left, but he did not get in the Hall of Fame. And Nick, I'm going to tell you right now, the Baseball Writers Association of America that vote for this need to get their – bleep together can i say well i guess i guess i can't say it they need get to their get crap together yes yeah. they, they gotta figure it out because this guy needs to get in yeah uh look um ray ratto said it the best uh in 2012 when barry bonds was first on the ballot and this discussion came up i think it was 2012 when he was first on the ballot was it 2012 or 2013 i can't remember 13 it was okay. You're right. Cause we were crossing over into 13. That's where I remember. Yeah. We were crossing over into 13 at the end of 12. And I remember the, the quote rang loudly in that the hall of fame is not church. Um, and this year, the fact that there was not a person, not a new inductee into the hall of fame is an absolute shame. 
that to me is absolutely shameful. I think these guys, these writers have way, way too much power when it comes. Now I'm not saying that we need to go out and turn this into a fan vote. Cause then you're going to have all kinds of skewed things. I think the writers have a good barometer on who belongs into the hall of fame, but at the same time to not have anybody at all. I, I mean, it, it, that's just, that's ridiculous. Why? I mean, why? Why, 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 why could that even be the case? And Barry Bonds, look, you, you hate him. You like him. I, I doesn't matter to me. I like the guy. I looked, I, I grew up idolizing the guy wanted to be exactly like him. Of course I was a righty, so I couldn't exactly be a left-hand power hitter, but the numbers are, it does, and even, even before he, even before the roids, even before all this stuff, the guy was still a Hall of Fame candidate in my mind. Seven-time MVP, eight-time gold glover, 12-time silver slugger. You got to get out of this whole mindset that the personalities are going to start weighing in on whether or not you come into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's crap because Babe Ruth, career drunk womanizer, but we were just talking about him. He ends up on your on your baseball uh, Mount Rushmore. He ends up in the Hall of Fame, no problem. There's plenty of guys I call. who have – yeah, guys who guys who have broken the law, guys who have you know beaten people up, guys who are a part of all these controversies, um, guys who have probably gambled on the game are sitting in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, really, is it a hall of good people? Is that where we're supposed to be? Is that what this is? Well, and to the other, in the other part of this um, argument is these are the same writers that are making money off of writing about Barry Bonds. You mean to tell me that these national sports writers who are now all of a sudden these moral pariahs, that they're just, you know, oh, we got to, you know, we're just this is what's so important. We have to keep the integrity in the Hall of Fame. Where was your integrity when you were writing about him breaking the single-season record? Where was your integrity when he broke Hank Aaron's record? Where was your integrity then? Where was it? Exactly. Nowhere. It, it was in it was in trying to make the money for 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 your for your articles and for all the stuff that you guys wrote your opinion pieces so you could have a job so you could wake up in the morning and be I'm a baseball writer and then to turn around and just slap the guy in the face. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah you hit it you hit it you gave you know some of the arguments I share you know I they made money off of the game the sports writers made money off of these people the era the entire era. And to piggyback off your first thought, Barry Bonds was a part of the 400-400 club prior to using. And that's according to Game of Shadows. Game of Shadows said 1999. That's the first year he, you know, did the Balco stuff and and whatnot. But he was already 400-400. He already had the eight gold gloves. He was already on path to the Hall of Fame. If you take away his numbers, you know, video game numbers that he put up in the early 2000s, he's still there. He was the best player of the 90s. He was better than Griffey. I mean, Barry Bonds, it's incredible. And plus, he was facing pitchers that were on the same stuff he was on. These guys, mm-hmm. you know, have the same advantage. Jose Canseco, here's another point I have. Jose Canseco wrote a book called juiced i have it on my bookshelf it's a great book um and he pretty much predicted he he listed names and these were big time names of everybody that he speculated or not speculated everybody he knew used peds mark mcguire ivan rodriguez you know all these guys that he speculated 
The Mitchell report comes out years later. He nailed every single one of them. And Ivan Rodriguez was among the names that Canseco wrote about. And he's in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Hall of Fame. Jeff Bagwell is in the Hall of Fame. These guys, for some reason, had no suspicion around them. Mike Piazza, a 60th round pick. You know, um, he uh, admitted to using Andro. The Andro, the same stuff Mark McGuire was on. He admitted it to it. And he's in the Hall of Fame. So he used a banned substance. He wrote about it in his book. And then after McGuire got caught, he's like, oh, I'm not using this anymore. So it's frustrating. It's frustrating that, you know, guys that are in, that used are already in, and Barry Bonds. And here's another thing. Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame. If Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame, who ignored every single bit of what was going on, then I think Barry Bonds and company should be in the Hall of Fame. What did you think about Kurt Schilling? You know, he, he missed by like 16 votes, I think. Yeah, I think he just – he was uh, – they needed 301 to get in this year, or as with every year. Uh, what did he finish at? 285. Yeah, so Kurt is a Hall of Fame pitcher. And I don't care what he – look, I disagree with almost everything that comes out of Kurt Schilling's mouth. But Mike Messina yeah. in the Hall of Fame, if you had a game seven, you would pick Kurt Schilling over Mike Messina. I mean, the guy's a Hall of Famer, and his politics, yeah, they suck. Like, honestly, he's just a horrible human being. But, I mean, he's a, like, he has a right to be a horrible human being. But, right. <laughs> you know, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, then that's the thing. Are we voting on the guy's character or are we voting on his ability? And you take a look at some of the guys, like, you know, take, take for instance, last year's ballot. Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, both, both in the Hall of Fame as of last year's ballot. Um, Larry Walker for you know as much of a power guy as he could have been still three eighty three hundred and eighty three home runs Derek Jeter 260 you know so guys that are not part of that 400 club like you're mentioning um Edgar Martinez the year before 309 home runs um just going down the list here you really don't meet a 400 home run guy until 2018 when we had Chipper Jones Vlad Guerrero Jim Tomei um guys like that so yeah, it's 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 about damn time. But I just you know until something gets changed dramatically about the voting, I I just you know I'm I'm afraid Barry Bonds just might be the guy that's going to end up in the Hall of Very Good. Yeah, and and you're right. It is not a church, and it's not a frater. It's a fraternity among the guys that are in there, but they have no say of who gets in. The writers do, and you know, frankly, it's a museum. And if you want to like. Basically, what they're doing right now, they're writing a story about, you know, you have the 70s, the 80s, the early 90s, boom, the 2010s, because they skipped over an entire era of baseball. You know, Barry Bonds' stuff is in there. You know, why can't he have a plaque? It's incredible. It's really incredible. And I will tell you this, and you're probably going to agree with me on this. If David Ortiz gets in first ballot, all hell will break loose. Oh yeah, and yeah, no, are you kidding? Um, definitely. And I think who's on? I was gonna say I'm looking at the ballot for the potential ballot for next Timmy. year. Tim Lincecum. Ah, look at that! Look at that! He, yeah, he, you're right. He is eligible. Um, we'll also have guys like A Rod, yeah, Mark Teixeira, Jimmy Rollins, Carl Crawford, Jake Peavy, Justin Morneau, Juan Uribe, <laughs> <laughs> Marlon Bird. Marlon Bird, another guy who got popped for PEDs. Yeah. Um, 
And I'm surprised that he even would potentially make a ballot. Um, that's that's kind of interesting. Jeff Francoeur. Oh God. Even and, even Ryan Vogel's song could potentially make a ballot. God, it might be a while until we ha- until we have like a slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famer get in. Yeah, because I don't. I just don't see any any of these guys on the list. Are just no. It's. Um. Yeah, I don't think you can make an argument for Big Poppy. Um, of course, you know, he had the the uh, positive test that was not supposed to be public. Because um, of course, if you test positive the first time, uh, it does not become public. Uh, you know, it's just kind of a warning, and then you get the fifty games, and you get the no. Now it's eighty. So you get oh, that's right. Games. What's after eighty? Is it still a hundred? Because I feel like that's. I think not- it's. I don't know. That's a good question. I know. Uh, I know the the third one is definitely lifetime ban, uh, which a few people have gotten. Uh, I believe mm-hmm. Mejia with the Mets has gotten it. There's been a few people that have that have gotten that ban, um, and you could appeal it after a year of being permanently banned. But yeah, so it's so the first positive test result is an eighty game. The second positive is an entire season, including the postseason. Oh, I see. Third positive is a lifetime ban. Yeah, well, Manny Ramirez had two positive tests, um, and he's getting some traction. But here's what I would say about Manny. The second suspension knocked him out of baseball. It ended his career. So I feel like he kind of served his sentence, you know. So he's an interesting one to look forward to. Um, So we love Hall of Fame talk for sure, and we could talk about it all day. All day. Let's move on here to – the happenings and I hate to talk about COVID every episode. I'm kind of getting tired of it, but um, Oracle park and and other ballparks across the country are getting ready for possibly opening their stadiums to fans for the 2021 baseball season. And it's really interesting. And Larry bear sent out a a letter. The president of the Giants sent out a letter to fans saying, Hey, we're going to try to get ballparks open. Do you see this as any kind of possibility? Um, that's a loaded question. I know. Yeah. I mean, we started seeing it with the NFL, right? So in the playoffs, we're starting to see, um, you know, social distancing in place. Um, I just, I don't know if you can, with the trend that we're on and I don't want to get into politics too much, but (laughs) you know, like, like I was posting on Twitter the other day, I mean, we were at a, we were at an all time, low in ICU bed capacity and all of a sudden, boom, within a week, everything's fine again. We can have outdoor dining. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I've seen weirder things happen. I think in three months, if we can go see baseball games, that might not be the weirdest thing to happen because technically it is outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can, and you can force people uh, to submit to certain things, whether it be a rapid test or, sanitization or whatever um sanitization is that even a word god Sanit- uh sanitizing sanitize sanitation is what i'm thinking of but uh sanitizing um so it's it's past eight o'clock i can't even th- can't think about words right now um so yeah where you but you get what i mean you can force people to do things when they enter in the stadium because they're voluntarily coming in the stadium they're paying for their ticket so you can kind of subject them to whatever measures you deem necessary yeah um i mean we saw that change you know a few years back when they started putting metal detectors in and doing a lot more stringent security getting into the ballpark 
Um, so, yeah, it could be a possibility, but at what – I think maybe it's because these teams are looking at it from a cost perspective. How many more – how many more seasons can we go without having fans at the stadium? I know, you know, there are teams like the Yankees and the Cubs and these big market teams will all be taken care of by their TV deals. But you start thinking about teams, smaller market teams, the, the you know, throwing it out there like Cleveland, Minnesota, Arizona, Seattle, mm-hmm. places where there isn't a huge national sports presence. Um, that could certainly be an issue. And I'm sure teams are trying to figure out a way, hey, how can we get ticket sales up uh, with with maintaining these uh, strict social standards or rules that they're being put in place? Yeah, it's it's gonna be difficult for sure. And I think I'm trying to I'm trying to think, would you because the answer for me is if it's safe, like if I'm not packed in with forty thousand people, I wouldn't have a problem. But you would definitely go – would you go to a game right now if, like, if it was – I'm trying to think, 10,000 people? Oh, 100%. Yeah. So I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even – I wouldn't even – I mean, because I, I work out with the general public anyways. Mm-hmm. So, and, I mean, why, why not? Why, why, uh, why, why even think about it? I, I, I wouldn't, even, wouldn't even think about it. I would just – nope, I'm there. Absolutely. Now at all the now, so I'm going to put a caveat on that because I'm I'm thinking about what it would cost, because obviously a ten thousand tickets in a forty thousand person ballpark, um, you know the demand is going to be pretty high, I would think. So what's the price going to be on those tickets? You know, am I going to pay two hundred dollars to sit in the bleachers? Probably not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Last the last time I did that, the Giants were in the playoffs. So. Um, I guess it just all depends on what the ticket prices are, but if they're reasonably priced, because most of the time I hang out at the garden bar anyway, so what does it matter? Uh, but if the if the price is right, yeah, I would definitely go. I think I would too, and and you're right. I think they they might be charging more um, for limited capacity, which I mean that's a crime, but I mean it's it is kind of what they have to they have to do. I mean, and I think people would pay to get into a game um now because you know they haven't been in a year i mean people are hungry for baseball in person and people are hungry for sports in person people are hungry for in-person you know activity and i think we all can't wait until this whole covid thing has passed us um speaking of of the giants they added uh an infielder here um their final or they did finalize the deal i guess with Infielder Tommy Lastella, he's going to get a three-year deal. This is the uh, the uh, longest contract in terms of length um, in the Farhan Zaidi era. So, and I did not do my research. How much did he get? Do you know how much? Because I'm going to look it up um, real quick. Yeah, I I, I, I haven't looked at the numbers on the deal here. I haven't I haven't seen the numbers yet because I'm I'm looking at fan graphs right now. So I haven't. I just know that they've committed three years to him. Um, I haven't seen anything. Uh, yeah, we'll get terms anything. somewhere soon. But well, how do yeah. you see this? How do you see this? Uh, this signing fit, you know, on on this team. What kind of player are? What do you like about Tommy Listo? Let's start there. What do you like about this signing? Uh, pure hitter. Yeah. Um, not not necessarily a guy that's going to hit for power, but he is a guy that's going to keep the lineup moving along. Um, you know, he, and he's hit and 
in the NL East and the NL Central, now the AL West. He's had experience there. So he's, he's, he is your journeyman, your MLB journeyman, your infielder guy that's, that's you know, I, he's a perfect platoon guy. Uh, a good, solid, uh, a good, solid uh, left-handed bat. Um, so he's going to probably tandem in with a couple different guys, but yeah, um, I, I have no problem with this signing at all. I think this is a good, it's, it's good for depth. It's good for platooning. It might also send a message to some of these other guys that, Hey, you got to start picking up your end. Cause we're going to, you know, we have no problem pulling the trigger on guys that are going to start helping our lineup out. Um, and yeah, this was, this probably surprised me a lot. The, the three year deal really surprised me under, under, the Zaidi regime, because um, you really think about what has he done in the last couple of years and who he's brought in, um, and they haven't been to really long deals. They've been – a lot of things have been just one-year, two-year deals, working it out easy. Three years, I mean, now you're like, oh, wow, well, you know, this is this is a big thing. <laughs> it's a big thing. So um, uh, and then who else? They, they who else, I forget who they signed at the start of the audience. Jason Vossler, right? Jason Vossler, who is a friend of the podcast, came on the show. Oh, how could I forget? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jason Vossler. Uh, this this is not going to be good news for him, I'm sure. Yeah, because because he is also another uh, left-handed infield bat. So that's, I mean, you're well. You got Belt. You got Crawford. I I don't think Listella would play at a first base or a corner position. Um, but he'll be able to tandem with guys like Dubon and Flores, um, and even Solano. Cause it's just, again, you, we have the righty bats there. We saw what Flores and Solano can do. Um, so now we, we got to get something on the other side of the bat. Cause I don't know how much you can believe in Crawford. I know he, he had a, a much better season. And again, it was a shortened season. So you're wondering when we, he was going to hit that wall where he absolutely slumps and he just can't. He can't hit a, you know, he can't hit himself out of a wet paper bag, but um, yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. But I like this, I like this Listella signing. I know this really pisses off my brother, who's a a big A's fan, because um, I, I think even Angels fans and A's fans were kind of like, oh god, the Giants got this guy. Oh boy, well, so that that shows you something. Then that shows you what kind of contributions he can give to a lineup. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think Lestella, you you nailed it when you said platoon guy. I think he's going to be a platoon guy for probably the length of this contract. And Giants are really going platoon heavy as we move in here to you know possible configurations of of how they decide to go about their lineup. And I think you know we could agree that Buster Posey's a lock at catcher. Uh, he will at least start the season as the Giants' starting catcher. Um, Kirk Casale is going to get, you know, anybody that backs up Buster Posey is going to play a lot more than the average backup catcher, uh, especially now since Posey had the year off. So I think we're going to see a lot of Kirk Casale behind the plate. Casale's right. caught in a lot of these former Reds pitchers. First base is interesting, though, and here's where we run into an interesting thing. Brandon Belt barely played against left-handed pitching, and it benefited his overall numbers in terms of slugging, OPS, uh, almost everything was better for Brandon Belt in that short sample size. Wilmer Flores, I believe, is going to get a lot of starts over there uh, against right-handers. First base, let's start there. What do you think about you know Belt kind of moving into that limited playing time role? 
And I think ultimately that's what's going to have to happen, right? Is is if his numbers are going to want to stay up there, you're going to have to platoon him as as need be, or give him give him you know two days on, and then his third day is off. Uh, you got to do something in there to mix it up, um, because quite frankly, 220 isn't going to cut it in this lineup. There are going to be a lot of guys that are going to be wanting to to hit. A lot of guys who are hungry for that. Um, I'm sorry, not 220. I'm thinking more like 230, 240s. Probably not even going to cut it now. Um, he did play for you know he did play basically a full season last full season um, last season, hitting 309. Not terrible, nine home runs. So it's clear that he kind of knows where his role is now. Um, yeah, I, I think, and especially with Posey coming back and knowing his health issues, um, it would, wouldn't surprise me if we see that off day, uh, turnaround with Posey playing a lot more first base, um, and trading off with belt. Yeah, for sure. And as we move over, I guess we could go around the diamond here. Um, sure. uh, second base and second base, we saw you know, a lot of different guys over there. I know we saw Solano, we saw Flores. It's interesting because those are two, two right-handed bats and second base is the only position where I'm not really sure. Of course, Lestella probably against right-handed pitching, but it's, it's hard to believe that Solano who, you know, held his own against right-handed pitching is going to get kind of pushed into a platoon role. Um, And he was, I believe he got a silver slugger award in the national league at second base. So it's crazy that they, you know, they find a platoon partner for him. So do you, do you think Solano is going to kind of be the same guy he was? You know, I think he's bound to maybe take a step back. What's thoughts on Solano here? Yeah, maybe because at some point I think, you know, uh, we even saw it when he was with Miami, the real regression in numbers when he played a full season. You know, keep in mind that Solano only played half the season in 2019. Um, he played 81 games. Now that was just a result of, well, actually no, cause he got signed almost right away in April. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't even like he missed part of a season. Um, and his time we saw in his time with, with the Marlins, when he was playing over a hundred games, that average was dipping down to like 250, 240. Um, and then he had his last season in Miami he was batting 189. So I think at some point he's going to get figured out. Um, that silver slugger, I mean, I've, it's good, but again, shortened season. So we really don't know what he was going to put out in a span of a hundred plus games. Cause we didn't even see that in 2019. So who knows with him? I'm, I'm in a favor towards regression on this one, but he could be the guy that, that could be your platoon middle infielder. Um, the bat you bring off the bench when you just, when you need a bat. Um, and that's where you start wondering about where Flores is going to be. Yeah. Because now you've, now you're stacking two righties there in the middle infield. You got Listella and Crawford, both lefties. Um, so it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that intertwines and who's going to get the short end of the stick and end up having to, uh, you know, possibly, be worried about being tendered or or being sent down to the minors for an assignment or whatever mm-hmm. um or maybe even traded maybe you could package one of these guys in a trade with something i don't know what you're going to get in return but uh, i don't think it's going to be anything impressive but now yeah and see this was the whole thing it's like you know a couple of years ago we were talking about how are we going to be able to fill the shoes of a regressing panic in crawford 
And now all of a sudden we have the complete opposite of that problem. Now we've got a middle infield jacked with hitters, not necessarily the best defensive guys. So now what do we do? How are we going to, how are we going to throw this all in together? And I think they did a pretty okay job of that last year. The defense really started off rocky last year, as we all know, but, and that's something that I'm going to entrust Zaidi and, uh, and Kapler to kind of just figure out. Yeah. And if, if they could trade a little bit of defense for more offense, I think I would take that trade. Um, I think if Donovan Solano, Donovan, look, Donovan Solano does not have to be Ozzie Smith at second base or shortstop. He does not have to, you know, catch the ball, make the routine play. And I think, you know, you'll be fine. And Longoria, look at it. And I know, I know you touched on Crawford. Uh, Longoria is, is another veteran that had, you know, a good year last year. I mean, he's been steady. He's been a very steady force at third base since the Giants traded for him. Um, I, I think he's going to stay there. I think maybe Listello gets a few starts over there at third base, but I think he's probably another lock. And I got weird timing. I got the shirt on right here, the Longo shirt. <laughs> uh, that I got when he first came over. It was on clearance, so I just dug, dug and got it. But what do you think about the outfield? I mean, that's, to me, the most perplexing situation here because, you know, Dickerson and Ruff, there was nothing wrong. That was actually a platoon that worked out great. Mm-hmm. Don't have a true center fielder on the roster. Steven Duggar's not going to make the team because he doesn't hit. So, you know, Mauricio Dubon, I guess, in center field, maybe you put Yastrzemski back out there or Yastrzemski moves to right and plays with Slater. Um, I think Yastrzemski is going to play every day anyways, but what do you think about yeah. this outfield situation? So Dickerson, Slater, and Yaz, I think are all your pretty much your locks for the outfield along with Ruff. Um, and yeah, cause I mean, Jalen Davis, I mean, the guy's got power, but it's, it's famine. It's feast or famine for him. A lot More of famine than not. Yeah. And you're right, Duggar. I just don't. I don't see him making a starting roster. You would really, he would really have to like succeed in spring training for someone to be like, yeah, okay, all right, maybe we give him another shot. But I think the Giants have kind of worn out their um, welcome with Duggar there. So yeah, it's trying to find that true center fielder, and where where are you going to get it from? Um, and that's why you know we're starting to hear about the Giants starting to court some of these other guys out in, out in free agency land. Um, uh, I know we, today they had a, they had a big talk with Jock Peterson, uh, supposedly. Um, although I think Jock's going to be more of that corner outfield kind of guy. Um, but I mean, that could be an interesting thing. That could be an interesting add into the lineup. The guy certainly, you know, has power like numbers again, playing in, Do- in, in Dodger stadium, you're going to have, um, Slightly elevated numbers, not like Coors Field numbers, but um, yeah, the Giants have a real dilemma about that center field position again. Yeah, for sure. And I think maybe if you do get a Jock Peterson, you could maybe hide Yastrzemski in center field again. I know they've done it for a few straight years where he's gotten a lot of starts out there. Because um, I don't, I don't see anybody going. Um, into left field because I think that's pretty much set. I think Dickerson's pretty much proven himself against right-handed pitching. Um, but center field is going to be weird because I think Jackie Bradley Jr. is 
good enough to where, you know, they could sign him to play center field. I don't know. But, you know, Eddie Rosario, now they're talking to, you know, about signing him to play right field. If they get another left-handed bat, I think it will make a lot of things easier. But I think, you know, Jock is pretty much a platoon guy at this point. I know he platooned with the Dodgers last year in left field. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that will be an interesting situation to see who they acquire. Uh, I think it all depends on how much they trust Austin Slater and Mauricio Dubon. I think those are the two guys who, you know, if they do get an outfielder, it's going to affect them the most. Um, so that should, that should be interesting. Um, before we, we end here, you and I both have experience in journalism and journalism is definitely something, a road obviously that I want to go down. Uh, you've done some amateur blogging and, and writing yourself. How was your experience? What kind of got you involved in, in admiring the media side of, of things? Well, um, you know, it's very interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting how my amateur sports journalism career got started. Um, I was in an admin for San Francisco Giants memes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, one day I got a, I got a message from these guys at Favel. And Favel is, um, they're kind of more on the international side of sports. Um, you know, they do a lot of uh, soccer and uh, the, the more European base, more European and South American base than anywhere else. Cause I think their main focus was on soccer and, you know, other European sports and things like that. So I know they really wanted to branch out in the American market. So they started reaching out to people with, I guess, with minimal writing experience. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm a history major, you know, there's, I mean, I know how to write. I know how to write an, a paper with an argument and be able to express an opinion and support it with fact. So in that term, that gives me the ability to express my opinion about things. Maybe not more so than others, but you kind of get where I'm going with this. Um, so I started writing for them. And then around the Foghorn was looking for writers. And so I applied with them. Um, now certain things happen logistically with them and there were some certain changes that I didn't agree with. Um, so I ended up leaving, starting my own thing, um, which was became China Basin chatter. And we kind of had a little good thing going on for a little while, kind of nice homegrown feel thing. Didn't always work out. So, um, I ended up going back to around the foghorn again for a little bit and then, uh, ultimately, kind of dropping the whole written journalism thing and starting to do my own podcasting. So, you know, I wouldn't say that I have the most experience with amateur journalism. I know there's a lot of people out there that have done, that have run circles around me, yourself included. Um, But but that, that all, that all has to do more with, with, with dedication though. So you can dedicate your time into that because that's where you want your investment to be in the sports journalism. I mean, I already have a career laid out. Um, you know, I'm getting my regular money from a totally different industry. Um, but there, there's a certain thing that I always say when you're going to get into journalism and you're developing a repertoire, you're developing your resume there, you really need to learn. And there, there's a lot of things that you need to learn. You need to learn from other journalists. Number one. Um, now my brother, he's a broadcast journalism uh, graduate from uh, University of Nevada in Reno. 
Um, he became a producer for the news, but still, you know, he works in a professional news environment. Um, so the standards are a lot different there than would be if you were an amateur journalist writing for your own sports blog. Um, so when you get into these amateur journalist things, there is a certain standard because you're putting yourself out there as a journalist, right? You're putting yourself out there in the public's eye. You're giving your opinion. Um, and, and you're supporting it with the numbers. Hopefully you're supporting it with numbers. Hopefully you're supporting it with fact. Um, it'd be kind of stupid to support your opinion with another person's opinion. But um, anyways, to try and get back on topic here. Um, yeah, I'm going to let you rant here. Go ahead. You're going to let me rant? Okay. All right. Um, we There's a new wave of people coming out and doing journalist things because – sports websites are realizing that their markets are falling apart because no one wants to listen to old crony writers anymore. Uh, and, you know, written journalism is a, is a dying newspapers are a dying thing. Um, even, you know, even some online written journalism is dying in a way. Um, so they're trying to find ways to interject and what better way than to try and get fans involved. Let's get fans involved. Let's get them to start writing. Let's get their opinions on things. Let's get their takes on things. Yeah, it might, be, it might not be an impartial opinion. Yeah, there might be some favoritism. Yeah, there might be some um, flaws in their writing. But for the most part, we can get it to work. And there's great fan-sided has had a wonderful system that they've set up where they've been able to cultivate guys. But at the same time, a lot of major publications look at fan-sided and go, Yuck, you wrote for those guys, you know, and it's not always recognized as a legitimate journalist thing. And that's because you have these other journalists who come along. See, I, there are people who are there to take it seriously, right? They're there to write articles. They're there to bring their opinion. They're there to be professional. And then there are other people who are just there to just tell you a story that doesn't make sense, that nobody cares about, um, that want to be – I'm, I'm going to be a fan and I'm going to be, I'm going to show you that I'm a fan in this article. I'm going to show you that I love this team in this article. Well, we know you love the team because we already know that you're a fan. That's already been established. You don't need to tell us that you're a fan of the team. We already know that that your opinion is going to be partial to your team. You don't need to tell us that. So that's kind of where I get, where, where I start to take problem with, with today's journalists and growing up in these amateur journalists that are starting to come up and write for publications that are sponsored by these bigger companies like ESPN sports illustrated. Um, it becomes a real big problem because then people are like, well, what the hell is happening with, with journalists with sports journalism in general is legitimacy of sports journalism. Is it starting to fall apart? Now that we're letting fans write articles and stuff. I don't know. Um, my other part of this is if you're going to be a journalist and you want to purport yourself as a journalist, I say purport carefully, um, you need to have a certain level of professionalism online. You really do. Um, people are not going to like what you're doing. People are going to hate what you're doing. People are going to be, whether it's fueled by jealousy or it's fueled by some personal beef or it's fueled by just because they can, and they will, you know, I, I hate to drop haters, but that's the word that I'm going to use. It's a good word. Yeah. 
when you're going to do sports journalism, you're going to run into haters because you're going to run into somebody that's going to disagree with your opinion on something. Not everyone's going to agree with you that Barry, Barry Bonds belongs in the Hall of Fame. Not everyone's going to agree with you on that. It's part of the job. It's all part of the job. It's also part of the job to take hits from people. You're going to get hits from random people. That's the beauty of the internet is there's total anonymity. I can get on, create a fake account and start harassing you and start trashing you and start saying mean things to you and start commenting on your articles with all this crap. It's your job as a journalist to kind of just brush that off. You know, you're here to write things. You're not here to, I guess you are here to interact with people because you want to, you know, you want to build a fan base of people. You want to build your readership, but you don't want to start getting into fights with people. You don't want to start getting into pissing contests with people. You don't want to start validating the people that are trolling you because that, I mean, really that's what it is, you know, and then to write articles lambasting your trollers, that's going to do nothing but enable your trollers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so I'm sorry. I know I've ranted and people are probably like, what the hell is this guy even talking about? Anyway? No, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, I just think that if you, and this is my advice being from a, a position of a person who's written for amateur journalists from, from someone who started their own grassroots amateur journalism thing, be professional, do start up your own Twitter account, start up a professional journalist, Twitter account where you can reference all of your stuff on there. You can post your articles, you can share everything. You can respond to people from there. Don't include your personal life on it because nobody's here to listen to your personal life. Nobody really cares about those stories about, Oh yeah. When I was a kid and six years old, I remember going to candlestick park. Nobody cares about that. And that, you know, and that's also why, why when I started writing, I only wrote a lot of, I wrote like a lot of series previews, recaps, things like that. I didn't write a lot of editorial or opinion pieces um, because I didn't want to get dragged by people. Um, but that's where, again, reporting a story, you're reporting facts, you're reporting on the facts, you're giving your opinion on the facts. When you, when you start getting these stories where you start just trying to tell some personal BS story about whatever, that's where you lose your audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For and when sure. you, and, and that's what I say, and you get people responding negatively and then all of a sudden you start, uh, and I, I don't want to pick on certain writers. Cause I know as I'm, as I'm talking here, I know that I'm mentioning certain writers um, talking about their personal lives and their articles. Um, <laughs> that's just, that's a big no, no. Right. Yeah, the, the first thing so. that I learned, my advisor, Miss Sutton in high school, journalism advisor, first thing that I learned, first day of class, number one thing, this is not about you. Journalism is not about you. It's about the people in the community. It's about people in the country, in the world, in the state. It's about giving them information that they need to hear. It's giving them about information that they want to hear. And I think it gets lost sometimes by the points that you're listing. Um, for example, I mean, if, if I'm reading a game story um, from 20 years ago, it's going to be different than from today because of the internet. People want to get clicks. They do things to get clicks. And I think that's why we're starting to see more of those stories. Instead of just a game story, we're starting to see top 10, our top five takeaways from the Giants loss over the Rockies. And it's because people want to get clicks 
and editorializing, you know, editorializing facts has just become a part of journalism. And it's, it's, it's not fun. I under, I barely write opinions like nowadays for my college newspaper. I think I've written one and it was because I had to meet the requirement of writing a one opinion piece. Um, I never write them. I like to write news. I've, I love to write features. I love profiling people a lot, which is why I've only done one-on-one interviews on this podcast. Um, so, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Nobody cares about you because you're the journalist. You're the, you know, if anybody is, has any biblical ties here, you are Gabriel, the archangel delivering the news. <laughs> um, you well put, are, well put. <laughs> yeah, you are the news, you know, bet you are the bearer of the news. And Walter Cronkite never said I, never said me, never stated his opinion. He delivered the news. And that's why, and I hate to go down this route, but you're never going to see the straight facts on Fox, on CNN, on all those other things. But, you know, I think we need to get to a point where biasy. Because at the end of the day, sometimes you're not just writing for, you know, if, if you're writing for the Giants, sometimes you're not just writing for Giants fans. Sometimes, you know, if you're writing a profile or a, a news story on a, on a top prospect that gets traded, whoever he gets traded to, a fan from that new team is going to want to look and possibly come across your work. So it's not just the people you think are going to read it anybody can read it and i think it's it's unbelievable and as you mentioned with the twitter uh you know with the professionalism uh you and i i try as hard as i can to keep it professional uh i give analysis based on facts you give analysis based on facts sometimes i go with the hot takes i'm not proud of it maybe i am but (laughs) but hot takes has become very popular so it's a fun this is an important subject because it is the future of the industry. It's the future of what I want to do. It's the future of what millions of other people want to do. And we need to be paying close attention to it. And I appreciate that you, you, you know, shining a light on the industry. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm, it's a very small light, but you know, I, uh, anyone who's listening out there, who's, who's thinking about starting up a blog and I'm, I'm always encouraging people, look, start a blog, start a podcast, start, doing something that you love doing, make time for that. If it's something you really love to do, do it, but make sure you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. Don't just do it because you want the attention. Don't just do it because you want, do it because you love it. Do it because you believe in it. If you don't believe in it and you don't love it, if you're just using it as a platform to get attention, if you're just using it as a platform to get famous, meet players, talk to people, you're doing it for all the wrong things. And that's, you know, that's the divide between someone else and someone like you, who I watch you do your interviews with people. I watched, you know, I, I watched you do your um, interview with Tyler Glass now, which was fantastic, by the way. Thank um you. You know, <laughs> I was joking earlier. I said, yeah, you, you interviewed a pitcher and then uh, all of a sudden you're going to come down and interview me. Just a real, real drop down in, in, uh, in, uh, in interviewees there, buddy. But, um, but I, but I feel great to grateful to be on anyways. Um, well, it doesn't matter who you are. You and I could both agree that this was a fun podcast for the both of us. And, yeah. and as you mentioned, like the people that want to start up 
you know, podcasts and want to start up a blog are scared because they want it to get popular quick. And I knew that this would take time. I knew that starting a podcast, I'd have to be patient. I'd have to, you know, build it from the bottom. Cause you know, and, and one thing that, and as, as you mentioned, people starting, one thing that I did early on was I sent my work to people in the industry. So I would always send stuff to Alex Pavlovich. He would always read it. I would always send stuff to or most recently, Carrie Crowley, you know, I sent stuff to these people to see what they, they thought about it. Um, and, and I, the reason I'm doing this promotion right here, RizzoCast Takeover, people that want to come on, I'm going to give them a platform. And I think, you know, this episode right here was a clear indication on what people, not necessarily household, like Nick Vesmar, you know, <laughs> Do are you you're not known worldwide i'm not known worldwide but it still ended up being a good podcast and i think that's amazing it's it's just you know and and the technology these days it has become so easy to get out there and just do it that's what i say if, if you if you have a real big interest for it and you have a love for it and you you really want to do this do it you can go you can go online get yourself a nice microphone and headphones for a hundred bucks doesn't cost you anything. See exactly, right? Get yourself set up. $25. This mic, I believe, was $150. But, I mean, you could even go cheaper. And if you guys want advice on how to start a podcast, I have like a page and a half of notes that I wrote down for anybody that needs advice. So, there you go. Oh, yeah. So, anyways, uh, you know, I, I know you're wrapping it up here. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I really do. I encourage that people really get out there, start doing some, start talking about something that you want to do. Yeah. And you're not going to become famous overnight. How long did it take you until you got your first MLB player? Uh, that's a good question. Voss, Jason Vossler. And it was, and here's the reason how I found him. He signed with the giants. I didn't know who he was and I shot him a DM on Instagram. And luckily he's one of the few that actually checked their social media DMs. So honestly, and I, I, I feel weird saying this, but I've sent DMs to every single player on the 2020 Giants. No joke. I know, I know it's never going to happen, but it's worth a try. And that's the theme of this whole topic here. It's worth a try. But do it the right way, as Nick is saying. Um, and it, as you get more advanced, what I've had to learn as of late, I have to start going through agents, which is fun. So there's steps of the process that you have to go through. And look, I'm still not consistently getting over a hundred views on YouTube. I'm getting a little more on, you know, listening platforms, but it's nothing to be crazy about, but I don't care. I have fun doing it. And that's the bottom line. As long as you have fun doing it and you love doing it, that's, that's what's important. Like I said, you're not doing this for your own personal benefit. You're doing this so one day you can go and when when you go and apply for major media outlets and you now you have a body of work that you can take with you as well. I will send them this episode. <laughs> <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> oh God, yeah. This was fun, Nick. I appreciate you coming on, um, spitting a lot of a lot of truth that some people need to hear. Um, of course, um, and some they'll probably never to. hear. They'll probably never hear this, but you know now now it's out there. It's it's out there for the whole world to see. Yeah, for sure. And we touched on a lot of important topics: Hall of Fame, Giants baseball, of course. I know a lot of listeners and watchers are uh, in in the Bay Area, so that could be helpful for them. Nick, I appreciate you joining me. Um, 
and I'd love to have you back soon. Yeah, no, this this was a lot of fun. I, I had a really good time. Believe me, the fun all on this side, man. We're it was great. Um, Where can people uh, again, find you? I oh okay, all right. Do I get the social plugs now? Yes. Um, Your time to shine. So you, you can find me on the Twitter at under uh well not underscore it doesn't start with this is vez v e z underscore Khalifa k h a l i f a a nice little play on the rapper name Wiz Khalifa. Um, and if you want to add me on Facebook, I guess you can. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Nick Vesmar v e z m a r. I think is that, yeah, that's how you spell my last name. Um, I'm also on the Instagram, but you know, you don't need, you don't need all that. Just follow me on Twitter or Facebook. Um, you know, I, I always like talking sports with people. I always like kind of getting into it. I need to start getting back on Twitter more and more. I kind of took a little bit of a break, um, towards the end of last year, but I'm all trying to get on again and, uh, really starting to push this. I really wanted to start doing, I'm, I'm starting to try and do a podcast with my brother. Um, him being an A's fan, but also being a big college football and NFL fan, although the Call football is totally done with uh, for well actually no I'm sorry we got a Super Bowl still to go through so not quite done just yet uh, but yeah hopefully we're gonna start doing that soon and we'd love to have you on as well I'm sure you know talk baseball it'd be great um, but again I appreciate this and I honestly can't say this enough you guys um, I mean I've seen Stephen when he was at basically at the beginning of his writing career and to oh, where baby. he's got a baby, <laughs> a baby journalist um, writing for his high school paper. And to see where he's grown, to see where you've grown, Stephen, I'll, I'll talk to you directly. Um, to oh. see where you've grown, um, it uh, there's an incredible overwhelming sense of pride that I have knowing that I know you, knowing that I've helped to, I don't know, maybe not necessarily develop, but be able to give you that platform to develop. Um, and you know, and, and to help you out and just watch you grow. It's been, it's been amazing. And I, I really appreciate you that you're doing this and I know you're doing it for the love of the game. I know you have such a deep appreciation for the game that not a lot of people have, especially in your generation. Um, and even in my generation too, for that matter, but, um, really appreciate you doing this. Really appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, I'm hoping we can do this again sometime soon. I know as the season probably gets underway spring training uh, we'll definitely have more to talk about i'm really hoping the giants try and make a push this year and try to just not be this mediocre 80 win team but time will tell yeah i appreciate i appreciate those words nick um one thing real quick before we sign off here china basin chatter was my first quick story china basin chatter was my first experience with the um the seo what does that stand for again? It stands for the, uh, uh, search engine optimization. Yes. And the WordPress would have, you know, the, the colors and it would have good and it would have, you know, have the different colors and, um, that like, that was my first, and the first article I wrote just had all red, like it was all bad. And I was like, God, what am I doing? I remember, I remember, because I remember I messaged you and I was like, dude, you kind of got to, I really would prefer you around the orange. That'd be yeah. great. <laughs> and it, it, it cleaned up a lot. And I think it, uh, I don't know if you had the power to go back, but some of them were, ended up being green at the end of it. And that was a big help. And it, you know, I learned, I, it taught me to definitely be more brief with what I was saying, because I would go on for too long. Um, mm -hmm. and I would, you know, 
things would not be journalistically sound. So that was a lot of fun and that was a big help. Anyways, Nick, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, he told you guys where to follow him. Go ahead and do that. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Steven Rizzotto, Steven with a V R I S S O T T O. And of course the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Rizzocast, R I Z Z O C A S T. Have a lot more content for you coming up. Um, including the road to, I believe we're trying to do the road to 60 episodes this year or no, maybe it was 90. I don't know. Either one, 60 is easy, but we're going to try to, we're going to try to double our total from 2020. Uh, Of course, the anniversary is in May, so we can't wait there. Anyways, thank you guys for watching. Uh, Subscribe wherever you're listening or watching like do all those fun things. Have, (laughs) have a great day, everybody. Um, And uh, be safe and wear a mask.